for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. It is Monday, February 5th already. January's behind us. How are your closings? Can't wait to hear about it. And things are picking up. That's good. Market looked like it was rallying. We're going to talk a lot about that today, as well as some technology developments that are just really getting exciting. So also some headlines. But again, today, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener. And thank you for you passing this on. We continue to be one of the most highly rated podcasts in the mortgage industry. And it's because of the contribution of our each one that you're going to hear from today, as well as our sponsors, as well as mostly you, our listeners, taking the time to click on and listen to us. Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Mark Helms in here with me. If you could see him dialed in, he's sitting in this all really nice conference room. It looks like he's an attorney with all the law books behind him. It's good to have you, Mark. Glad to hear you have you here, friend. Glad to be here, sir. You bet. You're looking pretty official here. I know we're doing audio only, but we're dialed in on a Zoom call, so we get to look at you. But anyway, also, I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, starting off with Byte Software. They make your ideal loan process a reality. In other words, if you have a unique way you want to go about it, the flexibility that Byte offers you is something that is really special. A lot of people say, but is Byte, can it handle our, if we grow to become a big enterprise solution? I hope you achieved a big enterprise solution, but the answer is clearly yes, you can. It grows with your business. It has flexibility. And the best part I like about them, they don't try to lock you into some, it's like a bad marriage. You get locked into some of these LOS contracts and you can't get out it. And it's forever. Or if you do, there's a penalties. And then they just upping the fees all the time. That's why you want to find a company like Byte. Check out Byte Software. Also, Finastra. Again, the largest fintech company in the world. I love what they're doing from an innovation standpoint. And you can experience the full Power of an integrated approach to mortgage lending when you check out Finastra. Outstanding. Also, Expert, without question, the market leader when it comes to being able to be a customer intelligent platform that helps you create a digital experience for your customers. It's a CRM and a whole lot more. They've created some journeys that are just outstanding. Encourage you to check out Total Expert if you haven't talked to them, or if you have, go back and check out what some of the newest things are doing. Also, Lender Homepage. It's an all-in-one AI-powered platform that provides seamless front-end solution to your mortgage business of all sizes. They help you connect better with the borrowers, convert traffic leads, and close more loans faster. They started as a web development company, and they've become so much more. So anyway, check them out. Then also, last week, we did the webinar with Truve, T-R-U-V. It was so much fun. KP and I... And uh, Delphine got on uh, the True podcast. That was well attended. Anytime you have a bunch of people sign up for a webinar, you come, eh, if we get 50% of the people registered, that'd be great. We had well close to 70 plus percent of the people registered. So it was nearly 100 people on that webinar. You can get and request a download of that because we talked about 10 strategies that will help you in the new year. 
prosper in 2024. Also, a special thank you goes out to Angel AI. What innovation is going on there? We thank the MBA, the Mortgage Bankers Association, for our partnership with them. They're a sponsor. We're grateful for them. We're going to hear from Adam DeSanctis in a minute. Also, there's two organizations I'm really thrilled to be associated with. That's Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. These are both co-ops. Now we have Knowledge Coop, which is also a co-op for a learning management system, but Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative are like mini MBAs. They're an organization where a smaller, more intimate group of lenders get together, make a huge difference in communicating with each other about what's working for them and what's not. You want to get that? Join one of these co-ops or join both of them. We love them. Knowledge Coop, again, a learning management system that is just outstanding. I Emergent, Mobility, MMI, and Modix. Now, this gives you business intelligence from what's going on and who's selling what, where, what are the trends sailing in those areas. Also, Mobility, MMI, and Modix tell you exactly what loan officers are closing, what deals, what products they are closing for what realtors. That is business intelligence that you need for today and that to be successful in today's market. Love our sponsors. Thank you, sponsors. Appreciate you all very much. Last week, we released a podcast with Alan Weiss of Weiss Analytics. The topic was on AI and appraisals, and it's a coming revolution. And the coming revolution, you got to go listen to this. Go listen to that podcast. Alan is a partner of mine in another venture. He was the co-founder of the Case Schiller Report 20-some years ago. Just a brilliant guy that can tell you where the or where the trends are with appraisals. And we need some new trends. And he talked about it in that podcast. So I'll tease it up with that. Go listen to it. Also this week, we're releasing the podcast that I recorded last week with Alec Hansen of Loan Depot. Alec, we're releasing that on Wednesday of this coming week. We're talking about the trends. What are he seeing that's making loan officers successful today? So again, this is a production focus, but it's got an attitude that he puts forth in a mindset an attitude that we all should have as we go into the new year. It's really good. Anytime I can sit down with Alec Hansen, I love the wisdom that comes out of it. Just so easy to talk to. You'll enjoy that interview at many levels. Also today, I want to say a bigger shout out to our regulars, Adam DeSanctis, Les Parker, Matt Graham, who is here live to talk about his recorded comments. David Kittle won't be joining us today. Maybe he'll be able to dial in. We'll see. But Alice Alvey is here as along with Alan Pollock talking about technology. So much to talk about. But let's get over to this week's MBA Mortgage Minute from Adam DeSanctis. What you got for us, Adam? Hi, I'm Adam DeSanctis. This is the Mortgage Minute, the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, FHFA released its 2024 scorecard for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and Common Securitization Solutions. The 2024 scorecard builds on progress made last year and focuses on two equally weighted areas, promoting sustainable and equitable access to affordable housing and operating in a safe and sound manner. Many specific single-family objectives are highlighted in the scorecard, including exploring opportunities that support first-time and mission-oriented borrowers, identifying opportunities to mitigate risk in the evolving single-family property insurance market, taking meaningful actions to achieve the goals and objectives of the equitable housing finance plans, and planning for implementation of the approved credit score models informed by stakeholder outreach. MBA will continue to work with the GSEs as they implement the scorecard initiatives and, over the long term, continue to pursue the necessary conditions to exit conservatorship. And finally, join MBA in the Cherry Blossoms in D.C. next month for our National Advocacy Conference. You'll meet with 
key policymakers, network with colleagues across the industry, and hear from policy experts on the top-line issues impacting our industry. Register today at mba.org slash conferences. Yeah, that's a great conference to go to and attend. Alice, I think, has gone to that. Maybe, Alice, you can comment on that a little bit later about that event. And there's nothing prettier to be in Washington, D.C. when the cherry blossoms are out. It's such a pretty place. But anyway... Let's get over to Les Parker. We got so much to talk about. You say, are you rushing through everything today? Not rushing through it, but we have so much to cover with some of the things that are in the headlines we want to talk about. So we're really looking forward to doing that. Mr. Kittle is joining us. So we'll get him in on some of that discussion on the headlines in just a minute. Let's get over to Les Parker and with the TM Spotlight. Again, he has a music parody. And I get so many comments ranging all over, like, how does he do this? What has he got for us today? Let's hear it. TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Another model's breaking, hard to take it over. The Fed is finished raising rates, yet the fight between the bond market and the Federal Reserve continues. Bonds see data showing slumping inflation and sagging growth, while the Fed sees firm jobs and solid consumer confidence. Both see the need for U.S. borrowing. But how does it get financed? Both know the Fed must slow its selling of treasuries or risk a liquidity crisis. So when will the fighting stop? What's in their heads? in their heads zombies 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 these views are mine identify zombies at tmspotlight.com all right les parker you got it zombies yeah get his newsletter sign up for it it is excellent what he covers there and he doesn't sing in the newsletter we get so many people that love it that think it's the gutsiest thing and the others go, well, that's, that doesn't work for me. But the music parodies always has a message and his newsletter has a real good message. You guys will enjoy it very much. I encourage you to listen to it, sign up for it. When you do use the word power, because you'll get the paid version for free. Matt Graham's dialed in, but he also sent in a commentary. So we're going to listen to that. And then we're going to get some of open it up because Matt is here and we're going to ask questions of Matt. So, Panelists that you're all here, dialed in live, get ready as you listen to this to make notes because we've got Matt live. We get to come to him with some questions. Again, this is Matt Graham, founder and CEO of MBS Live with this week's market update. What you got for us, Matt? This is Matt Graham with the MBS Live market update. What a difference two days make. On Thursday afternoon, mortgage rates were near the lowest levels in eight months. And two short days later, not even two days later, they're up to the highest levels since the day before the last Fed dot plot on December 12th. That is an abrupt reversal. It can be attributed almost exclusively to Friday's exceptionally strong jobs report. There are some differences of opinion out there as to what those numbers actually mean and whether they're distorted by seasonals in an unfair or misleading way. But the fact of the matter is that we have billions of dollars of trading going on from people who are putting stock in uh, those numbers and who are not really spending any time worrying about the credibility or accuracy of those numbers. Uh, they are what they are. The seasonal revisions that some people are talking about were very well telegraphed ahead of time. Um, and I shouldn't say seasonal revisions, I should say benchmark revisions. 
And uh, what this means is that the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, goes through the labor market with a fine-tooth comb every March. And then the following January, which is reported in early February, those new benchmarks basically reflect a weighting of where people have jobs in the economy. So if uh, you know things are changing over time, like... People are no longer making printing presses. Now they're making computers. Uh, you would want to make sure that when you see a bunch of people show up in the computer making category, that you are weighting that correctly for the population. And um, that can have a big impact when things are changing rapidly, as they have been in the post-COVID economy. And this was yet another instance of benchmark revisions having a big impact on the February report, which is for the month of January. Same thing happened last year, and then things started to come out in the wash as the year progressed. So that did have a distortion impact on the job numbers, and traders understand that, and they can actually look past that to some extent. And um, it's a very easy thing to do to look at something like the unemployment rate, which is not subject to those uh, revisions in the same way and see that that was 3.7 versus 3.7 last time that is still a low number and it was lower than uh, expected wages rose more than expected a lot of people quickly pointed out that is likely due to the winter weather events that were happening in january so that is not necessarily a big source of uh, pain for the bond market but, but the fact is even after considering the benchmark revisions and uh, the winter weather distortions, the report was still very strong and not the kind of report that goes in line with a lot of the momentum that had been building toward a March Fed rate cut. And uh, some people even thought, you know, up until last month, the January Fed rate cut, clearly we're past that. But just goes to show you that heading into the new year, there was a ton of optimism for even lower rates even though we had already seen a big decrease in rates in November and December. This doesn't mean that we can't have lower rates in 2024. It just means that the outlook is becoming more balanced in the short term. The Fed is the first to remind us that it is more about inflation than about the labor market. The labor market's kind of a single-edged sword right now for the Fed because um, if it gets much weaker, it would be an incentive to cut. But if it gets stronger, if it stays strong, it isn't really an incentive to hike rates. They would need to see inflation increasing or have reason to believe that it would be increasing in order to hike rates from here. Uh, several Fed speakers have been out since the jobs report, and they have said they still see rate cuts in 2024, just not quite as soon as the market was expecting. And whether we see them or not, and when we see them, it will depend on the evolution of economic data and especially the inflation data. We don't get the next big report until next week. But in the meantime, we have the Treasury auction cycle this week, as well as a couple mid to upper tier reports. The first upper tier report is already out today. ISM non-manufacturing stronger than expected, higher prices than expected, higher employment than expected. And so that is adding to this snowball sell-off in bonds, pushing average mortgage rates up and over 7% again. And uh, yeah, it's not pleasant in the short term, but if the data levels off, and especially if the inflation data is in line with expectations or better, then the rate trajectory can calm down and um, maybe get back into 
a trend that many were hoping for at the end of 2023. That's going to do it for today. Back to you. Thank you so much, Matt, for the report that you sent in. Let's get you in here live so you can turn on your mic and we'll get some comments and questions to you. I'm making, I'm searching because I think it was, and we got Bill Corbett who's joined us, who's one of our consultants, get him in on this discussion as well. But Matt, thanks so much for the reports you do. Love your service, MBS Live folks sign up for it forget the extended trial period just sign up for it it's a must-have service <laughs> all right matt good to have you here fred Appreciate good to you. be here yes are we at the upper end of the range i know this parker's been saying you know 419 might be the upper end of the range and then we'll see this fall so have we really started have we developed a trading range that we can anticipate when bad news is we at the upper end of it you think could you tell me how CPI is going to come out next week? Because then <laughs> I could let you know, most likely. Yeah, I know. So it's what you're basically saying. Yeah, don't trading ranges are trading ranges, but it's distinctly possible that more bad news could pop us out of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think the Fed's been pretty clear about that data dependency and the market seems to believe them. And everything seems to be happening in a sort of logical way recently. Mm -hmm. And I think the market probably got a little bit ahead of itself and everybody was saying yeah. this. And so many people said it, that it was the case because it was so universal. But I think that was accurate. The futures market was pricing in the risk or the opportunity that the big shift in rates had happened. And like many other big shifts in the past, the market would not, I don't know, it, it would happen quickly, right? If you look at past yeah. examples of the Fed beginning a cut cycle, it happens quickly. And so it, if that's not the case this time around, then we're going to have these situations where the market prices it in and then has to reconsider. That's a really good point. I'm looking at a text I got from Parker when I was texting him this last week and about the 10 year. And he says his exact quote to me, and we'll get over to you, Bill Corbett, on this in just a minute. But he says the bull targets are 395 to 377, while the bears fight 419 with a 427 target to capture the trend. So we'll see what that is, but thoughts on his text that he sent to me. Oh yeah. 419 and 427 are the same two overhead targets that I have on MBS live. 3.95 is, is a floor. I have 3.88 before I get to 3.77. All of these are just, we're looking at past instances where bonds have shown a predisposition toward bouncing rather than breaking through certain levels. And especially when that correlates with increased volume or significant events, we assign a little bit more weight. Ultimately, they're just guideposts that let us know when something significant may be happening. So if rates are willing to break up in over 4.27 with reckless abandon and high volume, then that says something that's probably yeah. more meaningful if they do that up and over any other random level. Bill Corbett, it's good to have you dialed in. Any questions you have for Mr. Graham? I do not. I followed Les and his thoughts forever and following Matt for not quite as long, but long I time. completely agree with Matt's assessment. And when we saw the dramatic drop in rates, once everybody piles into to that narrative, rates are going to pull back somewhat. So I can't say that there's anything going on in the market now over the last month or so that to me is at all surprising. So the predictability, Matt, is what yeah, you were you're talking to. Alice, you always have a great question for Matt. So I'll go to you next, Eddie. And if you're Great questions you have for him today. I do have a, a thought, Matt. It was really interesting to hear you talk about, I think it was just the stability or lack of surprises, which we don't have very often, because I was reading Mike Bratt and Tony's comments, too, about that right now it seems like everyone's vision is that the rates 
aren't going to move a lot right now. And what we've heard, this news doesn't mean we're getting a rate drop in March. And at least for the short term, things are going to be just in this range. Do you feel like the market generally is all on the same page here, which I think is unusual. Usually you get outliers and not everybody's thinking the same thing. But right now, do you feel like the economists are on the same page with this thing pretty stable for short term? There are definitely some outliers that are still banging the drum of we need to cut rates now to get ahead of some recession that's going to happen at the end of the year. And then there are outliers on the other side of the coin that say 3% is the new 2% when it comes to inflation and we're never going to beat it. And it's going to be 10 years of higher prices and it's going to be awful and you guys have no idea what's going on. I throw out both of the extremes in providing this answer and say that the middle 60% of the market is generally all in this wait and see mode where we just made it through the bulk of what we hope is the more volatile reaction or after effects of the pandemic distortions. Granted, those are still reverberating, but we hope that we have turned the corner on rates. And now we're just waiting to see if right there along with the Fed, if inflation data can confirm this descent back to 2%. And if the economy is indeed in some sort of soft landing pattern, although that's not as important as inflation in this case. But yeah, so everybody is on the same page. Rates are kind of range bound and they should move logically and accordingly, depending on what the economic data does, chiefly inflation data. Okay, yeah, thanks. Th and just for clarification for yeah. everybody listening, I was referring to Mike Pratt and Tony of the MBA yes. whose quote was in the MBA news link today about didn't see rates dropping much more. So just wanted to clarify that. I know That's when it comes funny. to economists, you have to be very specific on how you're quoting them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah my, but thankfully, Mike is just such a reasonable good guy. He doesn't get too sensitive about some of that stuff. We call him Frat Tony. What are you thinking about this? So it's like Lincoln and Frat and Tony, Kittle. We always do the last names anyway. Speaking of Kittle, Kittle, your thoughts on um, any questions you have for Matt or anything you want to weigh in on this part, markets and all that? I do have a question for Matt. Matt, and you may have said this in the report, and I just missed it, the employment number, how much of that was government hiring? I don't know off the top of my head, but I didn't see much in terms of that being like a disproportionate driver relative to past precedent. Not to say that it might not have been, I just, I didn't see any outcry on that as I sometimes oh, have in the past. So if you, I, and I did, it was only from one, and I can't tell you who the source was because I was listening to the radio, wasn't paying attention until I heard it. And it was a high percentage of government. I'd really like for you to check it, validate that for me at some point next week or whatever. And so the next question would be, and I heard this as well, haven't the last three, four employment numbers like that been downsized later? Not all of them, no. Uh, and I can pull that up and tell you for sure. In general, we tend to see upward revisions when job counts are growing and downward revisions when they're shrinking. And it's more of a momentum thing. But looking at the end of 2023, we did have more downward revisions than upward revisions. And in general, yeah. throughout 2023, more downward revisions, which is what we would expect given that we came into the year at 517 and shrunk down to the 200 job count range. Contrast that to 2021 when we started the year at 49,000 and had by July or 943 
2000. And we had an average upward revision of more than 150,000 in 2021. Average downward okay. revision in 2023, actually don't have the final average yet, but it's going to be in the negative 40, thousand ish range most likely okay great question mr kettle because that's it's so, so true I, the revisions but that's great to have the data. yeah go yes please yeah so just about rates i think whether they hold steady as far as mortgage rates go i still think the fed's going to cut at some point and i'll hold to what i've been saying for the last year and a half because it's an election year i'm just going to see some movement to cut whether or not the markets have already built that in or not and you're going to see actual mortgage rates decrease anymore or not remains to be seen and whatever the rates are, you still got to go do loans. Mark Helm, weigh in on this conversation. Thoughts? A couple of comments and a, a question from Matt. When they do the unemployment numbers, and I'm not an expert on this, is there stratifications for different employment types other than uh, like uh, systems or whatever? Is there, Does it look at uh, socioeconomic standards? I don't think in this report. I'd have to double check. And there's a million different ways to break it down by age and gender and ethnicity, but I'm not sure it breaks it down by income. Could be wrong. Yeah. That's something I probably well, should know. <laughs> reason why I'm asking that question, I am on an assignment in Southern America where a lot of people don't have jobs and the jobs they have, they need to keep. And rates going up really have a traumatic effect on affordable housing, whether it's just in the people, the low end of the FHA and VA loans that, to get in and need that guarantee to to get in and the lower down payment, et cetera, or if it's true affordability lending. And I think we're missing the boat. The government's missing the boat on that because when they they do these rate hikes on this, it puts the screws to the lower class. And mm -hmm. it really concerns me. And I see it in unemployment. In, in I see it in uh, qualification of loans. I see it in opportunity for stepping up in home ownership to another level. And I think that's the part it's left out in the equation. It really bothers me. And I don't see any of that changing, but I just want to voice my opinion on it. Yeah, I don't necessarily have a response other than to say, I think not that it solves any problems, but the Fed's often repeated response to that is, yeah, we know that sucks. And it would just suck more if we didn't do what we needed to control inflation. Let's see here. Alan, any questions or thoughts you want or any questions you have for Matt, seeing as we have him here for this moment? No, my my only wish is that my property taxes didn't double this year, but that has nothing to do with the, <laughs> Matt's forecast. So <laughs> I think I'm good with what everybody else had just brought up. <laughs> no, a significant data point for the Pollock family. That is for sure. <laughs> Economic data indicator. That's good. That's hilarious. Excellent stuff. Matt Graham, thank you so much. Again, folks, everyone check out mbslive.net. It is such a powerful service. And Matt, when you're talking about this is the valuable part about your website, you are able to drill into each one of these various data elements that are there. And so much is up here. The commentary, you really crush it in what you do with mbslive.net. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah, glad I was able to join today. I'm so glad anytime you join, we get a chance to shoot questions to you. We jump at it, man. Lots of good stuff up there. Appreciate you, friend. I want to get over to some headlines before we get over to Alice. I think there's some significant things that were happening that were announced this last week that I think were noteworthy. Number one, new res restructures retail operations, letting go of caliber execs. Now, this is a bunch of mid-level folks. It was in the National Mortgage News. I thought that was significant. That I reported on February 1st. I think what this is an indication of is when you see 
restructuring. And it's in the middle part of the organization. A lot of organizations to control costs are flattening out the cost structure. And it just seems like a logical, natural thing to be doing as we try to drive, as we struggle in this economy, in the mortgage industry, on a volume. But I want to get your thoughts. Alice, when you look at headlines like this, any thoughts? They mentioned in the article, several commentaries said that it's just to flatten the organization, take out some cost. And but any your thoughts? First of all, our thoughts are always with folks who lose their job. Yes. We never want yeah. to hear about that. But just from a pragmatic standpoint, uh, from a business standpoint, I think you have to be careful before you make a move like that, especially with your yes. sales team, because there's a lot of folks who are loyal to them, depend on them. And so it just sends a message through your company that you're not growing anymore. You're shrinking. And so I just wonder how they manage that messaging when they make a change like that at that level. I don't know anything going on specifically with those two, but that's my thought process as I look at those kind of big changes. Yeah, that's a great point, Alice. In fact, they mentioned in the article, if you look at the National Mortgage News article from uh, February 1st, they actually said in there that a number of these executives that are laying off, some of them are moving over to one trust home loads and they're urging their loan officers to move. I think the message you can send when you're doing these kind of cuts, if you don't get ahead of it and manage that messaging well, you may find yourself losing people. There's some unattended loss that will happen with it. Mark, your thoughts? Yeah, I have some. Since I'm in an environment right now where uh, there was a management change and a couple executives left, and I'm dealing with the fallout of that, of people that left after that, and the messaging is so important. And I've spent the last week messaging. I'm about messaged out right now, but I've been given a good message. I will tell you that one of the things that you're looking at, David, on uh, like Fairway, I got a call. Yeah, I want to talk gentleman. about that head, headline too. Yeah, I got a call from the gentleman that runs that. I remember when he started in the business, I counseled him on it. He's been a good manager running that wholesale division. He called me uh, looking for opportunities. I gave him some names of companies because he knew it was going to shut down and whatnot. But that is one of the most traumatic things that happens in the industry, in my mind, when somebody exits a whole line of business. And it's yeah, happened a number for, of times. Let me just insert, Mark, just so our listeners follow this. On the Housing Wire is reported on February 2nd that Fairway shuts down the wholesale channel. They just axed the whole channel. And that causes for a lot of pain when that happens. And that's why people are reaching out. Now it's quoted in the articles, the fairway CEO and founder, Steve Jacobson made very positive comments. These are amazing people. I hope someone picks up a good team here, but I think the broader question mark is the concern. I'm as happy for UWM success. There's so many things about Matt Ishby. I like about his management style, the way he goes about things. But man, he has a take no prisoners kind of policy. He wants to absolutely own that spot. And he's doing a significantly good job to the point where they quote Home Point, Lone Depot, and Stearns, and now Fairway have exited that business because of how good how United UWM, Matt and the team, execute on that book of business. They really are. But he also is out there with an ultimatum that says, if you do business with anyone else, you can't do business with United Wholesale. I, I, I take exception of a lot of things that Matt does well. I take exception to that kind of messaging, but it is from a standpoint of protecting your turf. And it seems to be working when we watch another one exit out. 
so one of the things seeing that fairway headline is as a broker, right? I think you need to go back to your economics classes and refresh on what happens when somebody gets a monopoly or a near monopoly in a particular business line, because the, the first thing to go is going to be the price competitiveness. Yep. And if, if you've hung on in this business and say, I'm going to be a broker and I can be really competitive, that depends entirely on how competitive the lenders want to be to you. And that was my first reaction when I saw this. I, saw, I had that moves. too. Yeah, that's the same one step, bill. Right, one step closer to you as a broker may not really control your competitive position. Yeah, very good point. Really good point. Mark, you were starting to make a comment. I, I agree 100% with what Bill said. In fact, if you look at the history of our industry for the last 20 years, there's been some pretty major players that ended up not being pretty major players and some going out of business because they went down that track of controlling business. And some are today, and there's two yeah. companies that come to mind that I won't mention the names of that used to be five years ago, they were the cat's meow, and now they're struggling. And and then now we have this. In this particular case, I feel close to it because I personally know the man who ran that uh, warehouse division and the kind of job he did and how he came up as a professional. And he's looking to find, he's more concerned about a home for his employees than he is himself, but I know he's thinking about himself too. So it's a tough road. The good news yeah. is he's got a, a bunch of good opportunities, I think, that are out there right now. But yeah, just, uh, it's, uh, it's really sad. It's really sad because I'm wondering what the... ...loans to, because I'm believing our competitive market might go away on that, and you might be able to have to take what you can get. Yeah, which goes to another really good point. By the way, you said warehouse, you meant wholesale, and I know you- Wholesale, I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah. yeah, no, no problem. I just want to correct that for no confusion for our listeners. But I think it really gets to another really important part is it's so important that you do business with more than just one company. If you just get locked in one company and they go away, that and that's why whether it's a warehouse lines, we're always big on having multiple warehouse lines, having multiple funding sources. So we're not relying on one. And you raise a really good point, Bill about um, UWM, if they are the dominant one and they manage to chase everyone else out, I'm not sure that creates a healthy game for the, the mortgage broker. And it's very interesting. Alice, any thoughts on this headline? Fairway shuts down. I think you guys got it all. I completely agree with you. Yeah. I, I There's so many things that I love. We've interviewed the guy that runs wholesale for Rocket. A Rocket Pro does it. Austin does a great job of running it. The battle between Rocket and Holst and uh, UWM is one of those things. A lot of opinions about it. I admire attributes about both organizations. I try to stay clear of the you gotta be all in ultimatum thing. That's that that rubs me wrong. I like a competitive landscape. David, just a, a super quick opinion. I, I, I've talked to a lot of brokers lately. I know some of them very well. It's sometimes about the name and the monopoly, but it, but for the lenders, let's just switch gears for a second. And there'll be something I'll talk about in my segment. I don't want to steal your time, Alice. I just wanted yeah. to put this one quick comment in. It has to do with technology, the cost of running a different platform. It's a different conduit. Really it's a point. different way to bring yeah. loans in. You have to underwrite the loans. You've got to manage conditions. You've got to work with brokers and consumers. You brokers come and go. They take their clients with them. There's always, there's so much involved in running a wholesale channel that sometimes it's just easier not to. 
And yeah. when brokers are not c- consistent or committed to you, it's difficult to invest a lot of money in, in something like that when you're constantly almost you're it's like building it before they come. And it's very difficult. So I think that's another big piece of, of that market and folks deciding not to be in the wholesale market. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, there's there is a niche opportunity in the wholesale market, especially when you see this kind of headlines. And so I, I know there's some people smiling and rubbing their hands going into it because they, if you compete on a niche basis, and I'm not talking about niche products, but niche markets, niche service, there's a new, numerous ways you could define the word niche in this wholesale market. I think I wanted to get some discussion around these headlines today because I think it's an indication of what's happening. You know what? I'll just say it's nothing better than working for a good a mortgage banker that gives you options. You can fund them through your own company or you can broker them out and an increasing number of retail originators allow for that to happen. We could go on and on in this discussion. Any final thoughts? Otherwise we're going to get over to Alice. Albie, any other thoughts team? Now let's listen to some mortgage update from our friends from Calc. Your borrowers may not realize it, but this is the best time to buy. Why you ask? Mortgage rates dropped for the second time in the new year. And Fed Chair Jerome Powell has even expressed optimism that rates have peaked and a cut could come soon. If those macroeconomic trends continue, they could spark a housing rebound. But as the market thaws, home prices will rise. Home buyers can always refinance a mortgage, but they can't go back and buy their home for a lower price. When lenders work with Calc, they can ease the financial burden of buying so your borrowers can make the right move right now. First, Calc provides a binding backup offer on your client's departing residence. This enables you to eliminate home sale contingencies so your borrower can make winning bids. A study out of the University of California, San Diego, found that contingent offers have to be 11% higher on average to win. By eliminating home sale contingencies, you can help your borrowers secure significant savings on the purchase price of their new home. Second, you can help your clients tap their equity to make a larger down payment and reduce monthly payments. And finally, as the lender, you can remove the client's departing residents from debt to income to help them qualify for their new home more easily. To find out more about how you can empower your borrowers to make the right move right now with your own white-labeled buy-before-you-sell product powered by Calc, go to calcinc.com. Again, that's C-A-L-Q-U-E. Alice Alvey, so good to have you here. And she's with her husband driving. They're going somewhere, but I got a chance to talk to Andy Alvey, her husband, who uh, just a minute ago, and that's just a guy that I just like at so many levels. So what a quality human being. And so Alice, I love how the two of you travel together, fish together. We've done podcasts from the fishing boat when Andy's fishing. So Good to have you joining in on the road again. Yes, thank you. Yes, Andy says hello, everybody. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Andy. My quick update for today is just a reminder on two things that are out there. You probably all heard last week about House Bill 7024 passed the House. This is a tax relief for American families. It has a few things in it that we're just generally interested in as a housing industry. So probably the main thing is the slight uptick that it'll give in the child and dependent care tax credit. So right now someone can get a maximum of 1600 and then for 2023, and yes, there's a provision in there if somebody was an early filer and already filed it, could you get up to 1800 if you were capped out and were B2 
be able to possibly get the extra 200 that is in the bill to make up for those who might have filed already. And then the slight increases in 24 and 25. The, the people who are pushing back on it, on the whole bill, are saying, how is this going to get paid for? They're saying we're going to not have COVID money going out over on this left hand. And they're saying that money shouldn't have been going out anyway. So how is this paying for itself? So there are definitely some issues in the Senate where we're not sure whether it will pass. So there's lots of discussion still to be had to see if this will actually make it through the Senate. And you can hear about that all through your news channels. But from our vantage point, we're just going to sit tight and wait. The second component is the second thing I'd like to give you an update on is the VA advance notice of proposed rulemaking for changes to the minimum property requirements. I've talked about this on previous shows. You still have a couple of days to get those comments submitted. We have until February 9th to hit submit on that. So please get there, check out the comments. If you can find Union Homes comments, we have submitted ours on that. You can say, ditto, I agree with Union Home Mortgage, <laughs> and you'll be in favor yeah, of keeping things, getting it better for veterans, making sure that we're looking out for veterans on their home and not trying to force VA appraisals into the Fannie Freddie conforming condition ratings. So go ahead and check that out. Last but not least, Dave, I thought I was interested in your thoughts and the group's thoughts on prepayment penalties. We're seeing more and more conversation, more and more products are putting this back in the market as you start to get into tougher markets. People get creative again. I'm of the generation where the hair stands up on the back of my neck when I hear prepayment penalty because I go back to the days of option arms in 2007, but just wondered if anybody else had thoughts. Do you really think this will get legged? or they get legged. It's, it's a, whoever puts it in there, demise, I think, Alice, because I'm in the camp with you that it just puts the hair up on the back of my neck. And I think also it's going to be met with some regulatory headwinds at some point in time because consumers should feel free and not be feel stuck. And I wonder if this is more of a, and this is a, Mark, I'll make a comment and toss it to you, but I'm wondering if this is a more about the reflection on independent mortgage bankers not being able or doing a pathetic job on retaining servicing. And so if I can't retain it, then I'm going to penalize you for going away. And it's like, yeah, it's like trying to trap someone in a relationship. It just doesn't work. Typically they'll do it, but they'll never come back to you if they have a prepayment penalty. So I just don't think it's a good idea all the way around, but Mark, you are the servicing guru in our group. I'm going to share three things with you. You gentlemen and ladies remember that way back when we had interest rate changes and whatnot and the prepayment penalties that came into the industry and the play and how they went away after a while. One interesting thing about prepayment penalties that I found, there was one company, I think it was in California, and this is on some proprietary product. They had a prepayment penalty on what they were doing, but they would waive it if you refied with them. Yeah. Okay. So yep. they do that. Yeah. So at least try to save it. But I mm-hmm. think the industry has failed in two major categories, in my opinion. And I've been doing a lot of work on this and some programming I've worked on to help you select what you want to do. I think that people that have small servicing portfolios need to determine what kind of loans they want to service. And some loans are harder to service and you need to get your price out of them and move on because you don't want them in your portfolio mix. Some are more subject to prepayment, et cetera. You want to do the same thing there where somebody's weight averaging those things in a, a larger portfolio. And so I developed some metrics that people can look at their portfolio and originate a loan and decide whether they want to keep it or they want to sell it. But two things that most lenders fail on 
that I think they fail miserably. I think that lenders fail miserably on monitoring loans that they have. The properties are for sale where assumptions can be done on FHA and VA loans. Even VA assumptions where somebody, the old person's guarantee stays with the property so it can be assumed under VA. And then the other thing they fail on is monitoring the trends in area and the housing trends and refinance trends and interest rate trends so they can do the proper solicitations of their portfolio. I've always felt like the best thing that customer service could do in a shop when they're not talking to customers on the phone, they need to be outbound dialing, talking to the customers, see if they're listing their property sale, see how they're doing, determine if they're looking for a refi and doing things like that, and maybe trying to keep that loan internally. I don't think our industry has done a real good job on portfolio retention, and it's showing now, and it's hurting some people, and it's certainly hurting the small independent mortgage bankers who are trying to save those portfolios because they don't have as large a portfolio to weight average their losses out over, and it really hurts them a great deal. But yeah. I think people look at the ways. There's a service right now where you can go out, and there's only one that I know of, where you can run all your properties against MLSs nationwide and tell which one of your properties are on the market to be sold. And I've got a couple clients running their FHA and VA loans against that right now. So they can go out and talk to those people why the property is being listed, make sure they're aware that the loan could be assumed by someone. Uh, because with a, even where, with the rates that people had on those loans, arbitrage with the rates of a second lien, they still get a deal by assuming the property, even if they borrow a second mortgage to purchase the property. That's really good. Yes, I had a great conversation this last week with David Allison of Dovamil. He's such a dear friend for so many years. The guy that I always had subservice my loans for me when I had my own mortgage company. And he was talking about he has a loan from a major mortgage company and he just ran a test. He goes in checking refinance rates. He says, I can type in and do a Google what rates are available if I want to refinance today. He says, without fail, I have a phone call from my, if, if I named the name of the lender, it would be, you all know who it is. I have a call within 10 minutes from them. Hey, you thinking about doing anything? That's how closely this is being monitored by the big guys. And if we as independent mortgage bankers, smaller portfolio guys, even I'm somebody, you may have 3 billion, you may have 5 billion. If you're not have the ability to be on it that quick, where it's creating trigger leads. I know that's a whole nother topic going on in your area, Alice, to what extent should trigger leads be there? But to the fact that these guys can monitor your Google searches and call you within 10 minutes, 24 seven of you putting in refinance. That's what we're up against. If you're trying to retain MSRs in a falling rate market, it's there's others do it so well. And the average person is abysmal at it, to be honest with you. We could go on and on in that one. Bill Corbett, it's so good to have you in on this. I want you to get your thoughts as we, and then also on the market, I want to make sure you we share your thoughts on the market, and then we'll get over to Alan Pollock. And, but anything you want to add to this discussion, Bill? Yeah, thanks, Dave. So I go back to two things. Right? The, the first point of when we dealt with prepay penalties before, there were other gotchas in place. You have a prepay penalty that is longer than the adjustment term of the loan. Right. That's just not fair. And <laughs> the industry is still recovering from that black eye. I yeah. think the other thing is, if anybody is going to look at prepayment penalties now, there has to be an incentive for the customer. If the prepayment penalty has value, some significant portion of that value has to be shared with the customer or it's just the latest version of a kind of bait and switch game. And I don't really see all of those things coming together in a way that makes sense for all parties involved. 
Oh, that goes to the point. That's and, good. And good Bill, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yes, is that it had to be. What are the incentives today? And see those in certain pocket markets, you might have enough appreciation that a customer might be willing and smart, educated enough about the risks of the product that they want to take that risk. But it is not for all borrowers in all markets. Yeah. Oh, good point. Alice, thanks for bringing that up. That's such a good thing. It's when you're considering some of these actions, listeners, or you hear your company doing that, bring them this podcast. Introduce the executive that's listening to at least this segment because that was a great discussion around it. For the sake of time, let's get over to Alan Pollock. Thanks, Alan, for dialing in. There is so much developing in the world of AI, and, and I want to get your report, but I do have some specific things I want to talk about, and it lines up with what we were just talking about, MSRs. Good to have you here, Alan. Hey, good to be here. Great content today. Holy cow. And so much to cover. Yeah, so much stuff. One, I'll just run through a couple quick things, David. And then I know you want to talk about one or two other things. So first, here's something actually interesting. Everybody has now seen Apple Vision. It's finally out. A lot of people have been testing it. You're seeing people walk around with these giant ski goggles on. You're seeing what it looks like inside these goggles where people are flipping screens like what you'd see in a movie. And they've got Safari on the left and a video in the right. And then their Microsoft Teams chat in the center. And anyways, it's getting a little out of control. People are walking into offices. The police just finally pulled somebody over who was driving with it. No, when, you're kidding. Yeah, yeah, it, for those who are like, what is it, right? It's a computer in your screen, like VR in a way. And it blends digital content and apps into your physical space. And you can navigate using your eyes, your hands, your voice through these goggles. And it's interesting, David, because no joke, 10 years ago, I had an idea for the mortgage industry, which was that you could have a QR code or you can use geographic identification, which 10 years ago wasn't as good as it is now. And it would tell you everything you need to know about the home that you're looking at or that you pull up in front of in your car. And it gives you mortgage rates, down payment options. And these glasses and even augmented reality, they do all that. You can code your home soon enough to be available in these glasses that as you walk around, it even you can stand there in the kitchen and say, show this with green cabinets. And it, boom, it'll change the cabinets to green. That's all what's coming. So the next generation, right, of consumers, maybe it's another 10 years. It doesn't matter the technology is going to be so mixed and we're going to become outcasted because we're going to want to stick to the old ways the ways we're used to the better ways. I don't know how much of this tech is going to be great up front. And I know Mark, you're going to take me back to one of your stories because you've always got a good one about how you and tech interact together, but it's just crazy. Let's move on. David, the housing wire tech 100 awards, those babies are out. Ah. Man, I'll tell you what, not only can you go scan a couple great companies, right? Now, listen, the, it's hard and not hard to get into the Tech 100, right? Let's just leave it at that. But here's what I'll say. If you are marketing companies, you want to consult with companies. If you want to work at a company, go take that list. Take every company off that list and start emailing them. Start calling them. Start reaching out to them. It's a list of who's who right now. So if you're new to the industry, go to Housing Wire. Look at the Tech 100 list. There's other awards in the industry that list other people. It's great just to see who's involved, what they're doing, what they claim they're new. Everybody has to post what they do and why. And so you get to see the updated content of these companies and what they're Mm -hmm. claiming that they're doing. Yeah, so go check it out. David, 
I had lunch with Mr. Parker, Mr. Les Parker, two Mr. weeks ago. Miss Les Parker, yes. And we're sitting down, we're talking. By the way, we did not make fun of you at all. I thought maybe that would be the first <laughs> half hour, but you're in the clear. But we were just laughing about the world we live in. And somehow we got into talking about our pronouns. And Les goes, Alan, I know what your pronouns are. They're IT. <laughs> and I go, it? I wasn't getting it right away. I go, my pronouns are it, Les? He goes, no, information technology. I go, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm going to bring that up on the podcast. Yeah, Coming from good. our Grammy award winning for economic forecast singer. So <laughs> Les has uh, labeled me with pronouns and I am it. <laughs> you are it. That is I am it. We, We'll start saying so, we're... <laughs> Well, we may use that. Oh, that's great. Regularly. So two, two more quick things, David, and then I'll tell you what we'll talk about next week. The first one is industry news, national mortgage news. It says they state, and you can Google this, loan officers rank technology high among reasons to stay or go. So they're no longer saying that they'll jump to a competitor, right? These are originators. They would jump to a competitor for better pay. They'll jump to a competitor for better tech. And by the way, that's smart. You're going to a lender who's investing in your success. They're giving you the tools. So for the lenders out there, your, your investment in tech, you keep hearing everyone talk about it. You've got to get ready. You've got to invest. You've got to invest. You have a lot of tech. By the way, if you don't know what to do with all the tech and when have you even read the last release notes, contact David and I. We will help you. That's such a big area of confusion. But anyways, tech is going to continue to drive decisions. And then David... This is for everybody who needs a look at the glass half full, okay? So two shoe salesperson, salespeople, were dispatched to a remote African country. <laughs> In just a few days, their supervisor received emails from each. One read, get me out of here. No one wears shoes. The other read, send me more inventory. Nobody wears shoes. Yeah. The life is a matter of perspective. Yep. And we need to look at this industry as nothing but opportunity to educate, train, partner, grow, help people get into new homes. Isn't that what we're all here for? We're here to make we're money just... and, and live our own lives, but we're here to help home buyers have their American dream come true. So that's a great that's way to look goal. at the at the perspective. That's right. That is such a great perspective. And how that's going to be done is going to be really interesting as we look forward to the new year and beyond uh, this year and beyond how that's going to be yeah. done. And uh, one of the things I'm going to just touch on it. We'd like to spend some time on it next week, Alan, and it's called yeah. natural language processing. NLP. NLP. And it is huge. The developments, especially with AI and the infusion of all this together, what we can accomplish with NLP, natural language processing, in how we communicate to our borrowers, MSR retention, people in our pipeline. It is staggering the tools that are out there. And listeners, I'm telling you, do not be blindsided by this because is it going to affect your job? It's going to affect the way you do your job. It shouldn't affect your job if you are on top of it. Now, if you're going like, what? I resist that. You fight change. It's going to get you. It could bite you. And that says we need to be at Salesforce tech enabled industry. And we have tools. Some tools are just old and antiquated. But I got to tell you, NLP and what's going on, put in Digital Human. Alan introduced me to this company some number of years ago, Unique, U-N-E-Q. It is really interesting. When you go to that website, take a look at that Digital Human that's on that front page. It is staggering. And when you add ChatGPT and natural language processing and it all merges us together, folks, we're heading into a new world. You need to be on top of it. 
And I'm encouraging us to continue. We're going to be exploring that, the ramifications, the implications of this as we move into future podcasts. It's so much fun. Alan, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Get to Calvin Parker. What a rare opportunity. That's always fun. I love yeah. the time with him. I think we need a pronoun for less. I don't know. We'll have to think of it. <laughs> we'll have to think about it. Something about the markets. And Bill Corbett, what a joy to have you join us today. I just love your commentary. I've always loved it. We just need to make you a regular part of this discussion. Your comments and anecdotal feedback is always appreciated. Thank you. Can I give one more comment on yes. interest rates? Yes. We talked earlier about interest rates as if it's one number. And there's an interesting phenomenon recently that shows as a secondary team and at the loan officer level, you've got to really dig through your pricing options that are available to the customer. So I had a client just this past week where their FHA pricing was one and a quarter percent in rate better than a conventional 30 years. So your standard 80% 80% LTV, 740 FICO, the customer, even with paying the monthly MIP, would have been on a $300,000 loan, they would have been $100 a month lower in their monthly payment by going with FHA going, versus going conventional. Going FHA route, which is so counterintuitive. There were so many, we think it, well, that's great for first-time home buyers, but it's, is it really, that is amazing. That is amazing. It may, and, may have been an anomaly. But it just really underscores the importance of staying on top of these programs and where they're priced at. Yeah. And as a loan originator, especially, you got to look at pricing outside of your comfort zone because there can be opportunities that pop up and like this, that's quite significant. That is significant. Bill, that's why we had you come in as that little nugget right there. And I can't believe we didn't cover that earlier in the podcast. So thank you for injecting that very much. Appreciate it. Good to have you here. Thank you. Alice, that brings up a good point, Alice. We got to be looking at all the products. I know you do that with all your partners there at Union Home, helping people find the right product and being aware of it. I think it's, but it's a good reminder. Alice, thanks so much for joining us while driving. That is so good. Again, greet Andy and safe travels to you. I want to say a thank you to all of our listeners tuning into this. It is so much fun to have you here. We love doing this and having this discussion. It's so much fun. So listeners, be sure to check out all the podcasts and all our website, lickitonlending.com and all the various ways you can listen to each one. If you want to binge on Alan and listen to the tech update or an Alice, you can do so by any one of the segments we do. You can download them and listen to them on an ongoing basis. Again, special thank you goes out to our sponsors, Byte Software, Finastra, Total Expert, Lender Homepage, Truve. Angel AI, Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, Knowledge Coop, I Emergent, Mobility, MMI, and Modex. Thank you to all of you for what you're doing. Go to our website and subscribe. Tell others about it. Have a great week. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.